All right, good morning, Central Church. How's everybody today? Awesome. Yeah, you're fired up and ready. That's right, Thomas. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I will, you guys are South Dakota tough. I will say that. Last time I checked, it was like 100, minus 100 out there. Is it still that cold out there? Good, good work. Way to get here this morning. Kids, everything, getting them all, and you're here on time. Man, God bless you. If you have a Bible this morning, please turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing our series called Extraordinary. It's a study in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. We're going to, this week and next week, finish chapter 6. Six months we've been doing this. Can you believe that? Six months and just two chapters in, in Matthew. So we're going we're gonna to finish that. Um, let's pray this morning. Lord, we love your word. We love your presence. We love to worship you. We, we love to sing love songs and songs of praise that lift our hearts toward you, that, that sort of lift our vision and our perspective off of the, the pain of life, off of the difficulty of life, and onto the, the comfort of knowing you. And so, Lord, let that, let that comfort, the comfort of your presence, the comfort of your goodness flow freely in this place. And for those that j just need your presence more than they need a sermon, I just pray that you would flood into their lives in power today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, last week, Pastor Nathan taught from Matthew chapter 6 about anxiety. He did a great job, but specifically anxiety related to money. Um, five times in verses 25 through 34, Jesus says this. He says, don't worry about money. He said, don't, don't be anxious for money. Like, really? Are you kidding me? Do you, do you understand the culture that we live in? People worry about money. People worry about material things. They, they worry about the economy. They're, they're worried about inflation. They're worried about their retirement. They're worried about the stock market. They're worried about their health care benefits. We, we worry about those things. And Jesus comes along and says, don't, don't, don't worry about that. Well, well, how do we do that? Let me ask you this. If you could follow a plan that would guarantee that your kids would never make bad choices, would you follow that plan? Come on, would you follow that plan? Yes. Of course you would. But there's no such plan because you can't knucklehead proof your kids. They're going to be knuckleheads. They're going to make some knucklehead decisions and choices whether you like it or not. You did. You were a knucklehead. Admit it. And, and they will make, no, you didn't. <laughs> Lying in church. I can't believe it. There, there is no such plan. No such. What if you could follow a plan that would guarantee that you would never age? I mean, no, no wrinkles, no losing your hair, no sagginess, no hip replacements, no knee... Re would you follow that plan? Of course you would. But there is no such plan. What if you could follow a plan that would guarantee that you never got sick and never had health issues? Would you follow that plan? You'd follow that plan, wouldn't you? Yeah, there, there's no such plan. Because we live in a fallen world and we are subject to sickness and disease and health issues in our life. But what if you could follow a plan that guaranteed that you'd always have enough money for your needs and you'd never have to worry about it? Would you follow that plan? Of course you would. And I believe God has given us that plan. I believe that's God's intention. When Jesus came along and said, you know what? Don't worry about money. Don't be anxious about the things of this life. He meant it. And he actually gave us a plan by which we don't need to be anxious. So Matthew chapter 6, 
We're going to begin reading in verse 19. Jesus says this, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. No, store your treasures in heaven where, where moth and rust cannot destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Skip down to verse 25. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, the things of life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? It isn't interesting that we sometimes treat life as though that's all there is, the things we need. That becomes the most important thing in life. And Jesus says, isn't there more to life than, than clothes and food and the things, basic provisions? Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet, yet King Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and, and gone tomorrow, will he certainly not care for you? Why do you have such little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. So, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of those material needs and provisions will be given you or provided for you. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring its, uh, its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. In those verses, Jesus addresses two different views about how to, have enough, how to have enough money. The world's view and the kingdom view. The world's view is store up as much as you can. The, world, the world's view is hold on to it, protect it, guard it, build up as much resource in this life as you can. That's your source of security. Jesus says, no, no, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the plan that God has for money, and then you won't worry about it. The world's plan is to hold on to and to store up. God's plan is to give it away. And when you learn to give it away, you never go without. And, and when you learn to give it away and never go without, you're not anxious about it because you've learned and, and to trust your Heavenly Father for all of your needs. So I think there are two parts to God's plan, God's financial plan. One part is tithing, and the other part is called generosity. Tithing and generosity. Raise your hand if you've, you've never really heard that word tithing before. Anybody? Probably some young people maybe never heard that before. Yeah. The word tithe just means a tenth or 10%. Um, and as we're going to look here in just a moment, it means, it means giving God at least a tenth of your, your income. We're going to explain that in, in just a second here. Um, there are Christians who believe that, that that principle of tithing was part of the Old Testament law 
And in the New Testament, it no longer applies to us. So that was something in the Old Testament that, that we don't practice in the New Testament. And my short answer to that is tithing, the principle of tithing was seen in the Bible 500 years before the law. So Moses, uh, I'm sorry, Abraham tithed to a priest named Melchizedek. His grandson Jacob tithed. So what, what we see in scripture, the whole of the Old, Old Testament, is that tithing is a principle that was seen in the law, but the law didn't create it. Th this didn't originate in the law. This originated well before. So the law didn't create tithing. The law simply defined it. The law simply explained it. The, the law told us exactly what tithing was supposed to look like because the principle of tithing preceded the law. So I want to go back and I want to look at God's financial plan in the Old Testament first. What, what was his plan? What did that look like? And, and the first point is this, if you're taking notes, 10% of your annual income went to support God's work. This is what the Jews understood from Scripture. 10% of your annual income goes to support God's work. Let's, let's look at some Scriptures this morning. One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain, uh, from the fields or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. Count off every tenth animal from your herds and flocks and set them apart uh, for the Lord as holy if you can afford it and if you have enough. Is that what it says? No. What does it say? You, you count the animals one, uh, that, that were new this year, that were born into your flock this year. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine into my barn. The tenth into God's barn. Ten cents on every dollar, a dollar on every ten dollars, ten dollars on every hundred. And the, the implication of the scripture is that's the, the first and the best. So it's not if you have something left over. This was a commitment as you, as you got your increase or your income, that, that tenth, that first tenth, went to the Lord and to his work. Let's go on. Malachi says in, in chapter 3, verse 10, bring the full tithe or all of the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. So here, here's a question people ask. Jeff, are we supposed to tithe on our gross income or our net income? And Jeff's answer to that is, I don't care. This is between you and the Lord. So you give God 10% of whatever you earn. And if you're comfortable doing that after taxes, wonderful. If you're comfortable doing that before taxes, whatever you want. This is from your heart. This is not a law. This is a principle that we follow. So you, you give a tenth of, of what you earn, of what the Lord blesses you with. All right? One last scripture. The Levites, now the Levites were God's workers in, in the temple and tabernacle. They were God's full-time servants, okay? Um, the Levites will receive no allotment of land among the Israelites because I have given them the Israelites' tithes, which have been presented as sacred offerings to the Lord. What is he saying there? So the Levites didn't get an inheritance of land so they couldn't grow their own crops, they couldn't raise their own livestock, they couldn't earn a living. They were dependent 100% on the tithes of the people. That was God's plan. 
that his full-time workers would be dependent on people being faithful to give their tithes so that God's work could continue. This is God's plan in the Old Testament. This will be the Levites' share, the tithes of the people. That is why I said they would receive no allotment of land among the Israelites. The Lord also said to Moses, give these instructions to the Levites. Now, those are the ones that are receiving the tithes. When you receive from the people of Israel the tithes I have assigned as your allotment, give a tenth of the tithes that you receive or a tithe of the tithe to the Lord as a sacred offering. So what's happening here? Uh, Levites, the ones that work in the, in the temple, they receive a tithe. They receive all the tithes of the people. Then they have to tithe. Why? No one's exempt from tithing. This is a principle that everyone follows, whether the Levites didn't, didn't have land to produce crops, whether they just received the tithe. Whatever they received, they gave 10% of back to the Lord. That was God's expectation, okay? 10% of your annual income, everyone in the kingdom, uh, that goes to God's work, okay? Number two, 10% of your annual income went to support your spiritual health. You probably didn't know this one. There was a second tithe in Israel. Let me explain this one. So when they built the temple in Jerusalem, um, it was expected that all of the Jews, especially the males, but, but, but all of them were expected to travel to Jerusalem for three feasts a year or festivals. <clears throat> the, the males were required to go, but, but they would sometimes take their families. And God wanted the whole family to go to these feasts and festivals to be spiritually renewed, spiritually refreshed, to celebrate God, to celebrate His goodness. But sometimes they lived a long way away from Jerusalem, and so that cost money. So this second tithe went to uh, provide the money or the resources to make this pilgrimage or this journey for spiritual renewal. Let's look at the scripture. You must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest every year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the temple, uh, the, the, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored, and eat it there in his presence. Now, that's different, isn't it? Because before, you didn't eat your tithe. You gave your tithe to the Levites, and they ate it. But, but now he's saying you, you can eat it there at the temple in God's presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. Now, when the Lord your God blesses you with a good harvest, uh, the place of worship that he chooses for his name to be honored could be too far away for you to bring that tithe. Okay, so think of livestock. You, you had a great year. You've got lots of life. That 10% is a large amount. Or that crop, that bumper crop that came in was a lot. And to try to transport that, that tenth of your, your produce to Jerusalem, which could have been really, would have been a hassle. So here's what he says you can do. If so, you may sell the tithe portion of your crops and herds, put the money in a pouch, and go to the place your Lord, the Lord your God has chosen. When you arrive, you may use the money to buy any kind of food you want, cattle, sheep, goats, wine, or other alcoholic drink. Then do what? Feast, celebrate with your family. Feast there in the presence of the Lord your God and celebrate with who? Who's your household? Your family. Okay, so this is a family pilgrimage to a Jewish festival to celebrate God and to be renewed spiritually, 
to celebrate with your household. And do not neglect the Levites in your town. Remember, the Levites didn't have any other income except tithes. For they will receive no allotment of land, land among you. So God wanted the people of Israel. First tithe went to the Lord, to the Lord's work. Second tithe went to their own spiritual growth, development, and spiritual health. So that they, God wanted them as a family to take these trips but they knew that it would cost money. So, so God said, set aside, the principle here is set aside money for you and your family for the year for spiritual renewal, spiritual growth, and spiritual enhancement. Now, there are several families in our church <clears throat> who every summer, they go to a family camp. I can't remember where it's at. If the Blaylocks were here, they could tell me. Anybody know where that family camp is? Is it Missouri? Yeah, like Branson or somewhere down there. I can't remember. But, it, but it's a family. And they go down there. There's, there's spiritual activities for the kids. It's a week long. There's family time together. There's evening events. There's Bible study. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's all of these things to enrich them spiritually. Well, that's expensive to take your family kind of on a vacation, but it's got spiritual purposes. And so God didn't, didn't want any parents to say, boy, we would love to take our kids to a family camp this year so we could grow spiritually as a family, but we can't afford it. Or to say, I, I would love for my, my high school kid to be able to go on a missions trip with the church this year, but we can't afford it. Or I would love for my, my elementary kid to go to, to church camp this summer, but we can't afford it. I would love to go to Men's Summit next weekend, but I can't afford it. We would love to go to, to this Christian concert, this Christian conference, but we can't afford it. God said, no, your spiritual growth is important, so set a tithe aside so that your family can be spiritually renewed and refreshed every year. That's important to God. That was the second tithe. When you got there, you could buy whatever you wanted. You could buy, you could buy tacos, you could buy cheesecake, you could buy latte. You could do whatever you wanted there and celebrate God with your family. God cares about your family and God cares about your spiritual growth. That was the second tithe. Well, there was a third tithe. Okay, so 10% of your annual income went to support the poor and the marginalized. The poor and the marginalized in your community. Now, this tithe only happened every third year, okay? So you've got every year, 10% to the Lord, 10% to our spiritual growth and development, and then the third year you tithed to help the poor. Now let's read the text. At the end of every third year, bring the entire tithe of, of that year's harvest and store it in the nearest town. Give it to the Levites, again, the Levites sort of administrated the tithe, who will receive no allotment of land among you, as well as to the foreigners the aliens, the non-Jews, the refugees, the people that didn't have what they needed in your community, the orphans, children with no parents that, that have no means of taking care of themselves, the widows who traditionally don't have what it takes to usually make ends meet, those are the people that you're giving this money toward so they can eat and they can be satisfied. Then, then the Lord your God will do what? Say it again bless you because God's plan is different from the world's plan. The world's plan is store up, keep for yourselves, protect it, guard it, hoard it. God's plan is give it away. And when you give it away, you'll always have enough in God's economy, in God's kingdom. That's why we seek first his kingdom and his plan and his righteousness, okay? So there's, there's some discrepancy among scholars as to whether this third tithe meant that it was a third 10% in addition to the other 20%. So the third year you gave 30% or th th it could be that, that that third tithe replaced one of the first two. So either every year you set aside 20% for spiritual things or every year essentially you set, a, set, a, set aside 23 and a third percent, okay? 
Well, that's, that's kind of a lot of money, isn't it? I, I don't know how many of you are setting that much money aside, 23% of your income for God's purposes in your life. But that was, that was Old Testament. That was what they did in the Old Testament, not the New Testament yet, all right? So, so number four that, that I want to say is what, what did God promise in the Old Testament if people followed his plan? What did God promise to do if they would bring those two tithes every year, set those apart, and the third year, bring the tithe for the poor? All right? In, in, in um, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, God promised that he would increase their income. God promised that he would increase their income. Let's read that. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple for God's workers. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, says God. Put me to the test. Okay, what's happening there? God promises that if you are faithful to bring the tithe, to care for his work, that he will open the windows of heaven and pour into your life a blessing. Now, this is an agricultural society. Farmers need rain. Far farmers need good climate and good conditions to grow successful crops. God says, I will open the windows of heaven and bring rain on your crops. I'll bring sun on your crops. I will bless the work of your hands if you are faithful to do that. Okay? So the first thing is, God says he will, he will bless our income. He will increase our income. So essentially what that means is if you're faithful to bring that 10% to God, now you're left with 90%. God will take that 90% farther than the 100% if you trust God with that. That's what God promises. And I've been tithing for over 47 years and God has been faithful my whole life. Here's what God does with that 90%. We, we, we give more than 10% because we, we love to give. I'm not saying that to brag. We just, we just love this principle. It, it brings joy to our hearts to be able to give even beyond the 10%. And God has always met our needs financially and always given us a little bit more to help someone else. Always. He always meets our needs and he always gives us something else that we could bless someone else. That's God's way. That's God's kingdom. That's God's principle is that we have more than we need to begin to bless other people if we'll be faithful. So the 90% becomes more than 100%. You'll look back on the end of the year and you go, wait a second, I gave this much away, but I made that much more. How does that work? I have no idea, but God, it's fuzzy math. I, don't, I can't figure it out. It's supernatural. This is a supernatural kingdom principle that God has given us as a gift to keep us from worrying about money in our lives. The second thing God promised was he promised to decrease our losses. He promised to decrease our losses. Here's what he says in verse 11. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them, say guard them, from insects and disease, locusts and pestilence. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's army. God says, I will protect your resources. I will keep your crops from things that destroy it so it doesn't destroy your harvest. I, I will keep you from, from 80 mile an hour winds like they have in South Dakota and hailstorms that ruin your crops. I'll protect you from things that could consume your income. Sometimes the Lord's blessing is not in giving us more, but in blessing the things that we have, keeping the car running keeping the washing machine from breaking down, protecting those things that we already have so we don't need to keep pouring our resources to fix those things 
or to make those things better. Sometimes the protection of God is income for us. What does God promise? He promises to increase our income with 90% instead of 100%. And he promises to protect our investments, minimize our losses. All right, so that's God's plan in the Old Testament for money and for finances. So my, my, my question is, what, what, what about the New Testament? Well, well, nowhere in the New Testament does it say we shouldn't give. Nowhere. You won't find a verse in the, in the New Testament about tithing that says you shouldn't tithe anymore. That, that's passed away. It's not for you. That was just Old Covenant, not, not New Covenant. There's only two verses in the New Testament that mention tithing. And both of them are positive toward the principle of tithing. They don't say stop. Jesus was the first. This is what Jesus said about tithing in Matthew 23, 23. He's speaking to the Pharisees. Jesus affirms tithing for the people of his day. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe on even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. Okay, the Jewish leaders were so meticulous with the law that they would grow these seed plants and they would, they would take 10 seeds and they would count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine seeds are mine. One seed goes to the Lord. That's how meticulous they were. Jesus says you're, you're perfect when it comes to tithing, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law like justice, mercy, and faith. Jesus said, you got it backwards. Tithing is such a low principle in the kingdom compared to character and godliness, compared to representing God in the world with, with, with godly character. That's way more important than tithing. So you, you, you tithe, but you ignore the more important matters of living a life of integrity and honesty and truthfulness with people, caring about people, right? But then he says this about tithing. You, you should tithe, yes, Go back. You should tithe, but don't neglect the more important things. Right there, Jesus could have said, hey, we're, in, we're entering a dispensation where we're eliminating tithing. You, you don't have to do it anymore, okay? It's not for you. That's Old Covenant, Old Testament. It's obsolete now. We're not going to continue with that plan. In that moment, Jesus could have said, instead, he says, no, you're, you should tithe. You should continue that principle. But, but that's one of the least principles in my kingdom. The more important thing is truthfulness, integrity, faith, all of those things. The second place in the New Testament where tithing is mentioned is in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 4 to 7. I already mentioned it. It's when Abraham gave tithes that he had earned in battle to a priest named Melchizedek. Okay, this is way before the law. Abraham has a great income of victory in war and he gives a tenth of that to Melchizedek. Well, what's the significance of that? The whole point of the book of Hebrews is to teach that Jesus Christ is superior to everything in the Old Testament. Jesus is superior to the law. Jesus is superior to the sacrificial system. Jesus is superior to the priesthood. Jesus is superior to Moses. He even says Jesus is superior to angels. Jesus is superior to everything, including this priest named Melchizedek. Jesus is a greater priest. If Abraham honored Melchizedek by bringing tithes to him and paying tithes to him and honoring him, how much more in the New Testament do we honor Jesus Christ 
with our giving, right? That's the point of the book of Hebrews. So there's no place in the New Testament where it says don't tithe. The only two places in the New Testament that talk about tithing say you you should tithe. This is is something that, that Abraham did to honor Melchizedek. It's something that we do to honor Christ. Now, people argue today against tithing by quoting a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. I want to read that with you, okay? Here's what Paul says. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Ah, Jeff, there it is. It's what's in my heart. It's no longer a law. I don't have to give 10%. It's what is in my heart. Okay, I agree. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. See there, the law brings pressure. The, the law is, is, is hung over my head and it forces me to do what I don't want to do. I'm free from the law. I'm free to give God whatever I want in my heart because God loves a cheerful giver. And I'm going to be a cheerful giver. You know why? Because in the New Covenant, I have so much more joy and so much more gratitude than they did in the New Testament because I know Jesus. Amen? I I am so much more grateful because Christ has forgiven my sin, because he went to the cross for me. He's given me eternal life. I'm so grateful that every morning when I wake up, the mercy of God is new in my life. He's made me blameless through Christ, forgiven all of my sin. He's filled me with the Holy Spirit. He's empowered me to live an extraordinary life. I have so much more love for Jesus than they did for God in the Old Testament. I'm going to give out of a joyful heart, right? Isn't that what a New Testament believer is supposed to do? We just give out of this incredible joy because of Christ. But is that true? Does our giving, is it equal to or does it surpass the giving in the Old Covenant? I want to take a look, but I need your help. So take your phone out. And and we're going to take a little quiz. And what I'm going to ask you to do is put your name there and then how much you give every year to the Lord's work. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) This has has nothing to do with you. I want you to answer some questions. I saw this week in a survey, but but I need your help answering. So scan that QR code. You're going to get a link and then click on the link. And and nothing will happen until my tech guy puts the first question up. Okay, so go ahead and log on. Everyone, I'd love you to participate in this. We'll have some fun with it this morning. Because we're New Testament believers now, so we give out of the abundance of our heart, not according to the law, right? All right, first question, let's go ahead and put that up. First question, my favorite thing about snow is it's so white and pure and fluffy. Or, over time, my car becomes a rotting hunk of rust. C, the bulging disc in my back that spasms every time I shovel it. Or D, there is absolutely, positively nothing good about snow. Go ahead and answer that according to your heart. What's what's the best reason for snow? All right? In the upper right-hand corner, we can see how many people are participating and logging in. We we ought to get that to about 300 maybe in the group this size. So some people, it takes a little while with the Internet to kind of kick in or whatever, but that's why we do a, a fun question to start. Okay. All right, here we go. My favorite thing about snow, what did you answer? How did you answer that? <clears throat> yeah, it's so beautiful, white, pure, fluffy. The second one, there's absolutely positively nothing good about That was my answer. That, that was how I answered that one. I know that it waters the ground. The farmers, you know, we need water. But how about if it just rained in 70-degree weather? How about that? 
instead of 17 feet of snow. Why don't we just get rain like a lot of other people in life instead of snow? Okay, so let's go to the, very, the first serious question here, all right? What percentage of regular church attenders or families give 10% of their income either to their church or to other charitable? Or In other words, what percentage of people that attend church regularly tithe? 5%, 15%, 20 percent, or 25%? What do you think? New Testament believers love Jesus with all their heart. They're going to they're outdo everybody in the Old Testament. All right, look at us, man. Almost up to 300 there. Good work. All right. What percentage of people that regularly attend the church tithe? What'd you come up with? Uh, 15%. Most of you said 15%. The next best was 5%. Uh, then 20%, then 25%. The actual answer to that is 5%. 5% of people that attend church, uh, 5% actually tithe. That, what that means is 95% of people don't. They, they, they don't. they don't give what they gave in the Old Testament. Okay? All right, next question. The average donation made by adults who attend Protestant churches is $5 a week, $17 a week, $36 a week, or $72 a week. What do you think the average adult person that attends church gives on an average each week? Five bucks, 17 bucks, 36 bucks, 72 bucks. All right, good job, almost 400 people participate. What, what'd you come up with? 50% said only $5 a week. 42% said 17, 8% said 36, 2% said 72. The actual answer to that is $17. New Testament believer loves Jesus with all their heart, lo loves what God's doing in the church, gives about $884 a year to God's work. All right, next question. <clears throat> what percentage of regular church attenders give nothing to the church? 7%, 27%, 37%, or 47%. They, they come and they love the church. They're in men's ministries, women's ministries. They love the worship services, but they don't, they don't put anything in the offering. What percentage of people? All right, good job. Almost 400 people. What'd you come up with? Over half said 47%. The next is 37, then 27, then 7. The answer is 37%. Almost 4 out of 10 people that attend the church, love the church, love God, don't give anything. So look, if your row has 10 people, 4 of those people didn't give today. Just go ahead and look. Just <laughs> point out who they are. Just, I think it was you. I think you were the 4 right there that didn't, didn't give anything. All right, last question. Which group below has a higher percentage of those who give at least 10% or who tithe of their income either to the church or charitable organization? Those that make 20,000 or less or those that make 75,000 and more? Okay, so which group of people has a higher percent, percentage of tithers? Those that make 20,000 and less or 75,000 and more? What do you think? All 
All right, what'd you come up with? 81% of you said those that make less than $20,000, and you're right. Those who make 20,000 or less, 8%, 8% of people that make 20,000 or less tithe, 1% of people that make 75,000 and more. Tithe. What's the principle there? The more you make, the harder it is to give away. The more you become insecure and tight-fisted with your money. Friends, what's supposed to happen is that in the, in the new covenant, we are supposed to exceed because we've experienced Christ the giving pattern of those in the old covenant, and we just don't. Let me just share a few closing thoughts and then we'll pray together and dismiss. I mentioned that I've tithed on my income for 47 years, and my, my wife, Shirley, and I, we've given more than 10% only because we, we, we found the joy of giving, and God has never let us down. We've been in between jobs, out of work, and God has faithfully provided always not just what we need, but enough to give away to someone else. Tithing preceded the law. It was before the law, so it's still for today. Jesus even affirmed that principle. Tithing is a supernatural kingdom principle. It's not a law that we have to keep. As a church, Central gives way more than 10% annually toward outside ministries and outside needs, which is the reason why God continues to bless us financially because we're not tight-fisted with money. We try to follow God's principle of, of giving away as much as we can. Um, tithing requires faith, but God promises to bless faith. That's why God says, test me in this. Only thing in Scripture where God says, test me, is in the tithe and see, see if I'll prove myself faithful in your life. S see if I will go above and beyond what you could ask or think and, and release you from the worry about money. Tithing is a gift that's given by God to keep us free from anxiety. Tithing helps to keep us from serving money instead of serving God. And so like Malachi, my closing challenge to you is, first of all, this is not a law, it's a principle. Number two, it's a gift that God gives you to overcome your fear of anxiety and to see God work in supernatural ways, my encouragement is just try it. Just test God. See what God, do this for a few months and see if you see the hand of God in a powerful way work in your life. Let's stand this morning. Would you pray with me? And as we pray, if you have a prayer need that you'd like someone to pray for you with, we're gonna have some folks up here at the altar to pray with you before you leave. Lord, you instructed us to set money aside every year for your work, for our own spiritual growth, and for the needs of the poor around us. Would you help us, Lord, to identify what that means for us? Would you give us the faith that we need to implement the tithing principle in our life? And Lord, would you, would you continue to, to help us to be generous and open-handed with all of the good things you've given to us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. God bless you.